Welcome to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains who are also human and sometimes better at being humans than saints. I will be sharing my own experiences of being a chaplain and interviewing others to hear their stories and the stories of their families, as well as learning from colleagues we work with in related fields, because it's our own humanity that unites us on this very spiritual journey through a very mortal life. Sahar. It's a little easier to pronounce, but I'm originally from Palestine. I was born in Jerusalem and grew up in a town close to Bethlehem. And I got a bachelor's degree in math from Bethlehem University. And then I went on and I got a master's degree in statistics from Brigham Young University. I worked in various universities teaching in Palestine and then later I went on and got a PhD in statistics uh, from the Middle East Technical University in Turkey and I served a full-time mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in London, England for a year and then uh, right now I teach at Brigham Young University in Idaho. And I teach in the math department. Thank you so much for coming today. I was so excited when my bishop mentioned your talk because I have followed you for a long time, but also I knew you in Palestine. I met you there. It was so long ago, so long ago. Um, and I was excited that your words have reached all the way here. And it matters to me. So I I just wanted to chat with you for a little bit. Your story is so important and you have been so brave and vulnerable in sharing it over and over and over again. And I am grateful for all that is happening through that, that, that the Lord is doing through that. And I know it is his work, but also you have done your work and all of that together is such a beautiful after all that we can do sort of blessing that is powerful i i don't even i don't even have words so i would like to you to feel free to share anything you want i would like to talk about some of the trauma a little bit not in an intrusive way but because this is for chaplains and um we can sort of just go in a conversation how however you feel comfortable nothing that is feeling too intrusive okay yeah of course yeah that's fine what where do you want to start just introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your story i can start and take it any way you want but um so i was born in jerusalem i grew up in a little town called Beit Sahur, which is right next to bethlehem I'm a Palestinian Arab. My family is Christian. I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church. Uh, my family didn't really go to church a lot, but uh, they, we went to church occasionally. 
I, I went to school at Bethlehem University uh, to as a as an undergrad student, and back then things were kind of calm in Palestine. We occasionally had demonstrations, so just as part of a historical background for some of those that may not know. So my country, Palestine, uh, is actually occupied by Israel. There used to be a Palestine back before 1948, and then uh, Israel kind of the state of Israel was created on half of my country. And then in 1967, during the Six Day War, Israel occupied the rest of the country. So there are about 4 million Palestinians that live in Israel right now. Um, there, of course, we live in a state called Israel, which used to be Palestine, but we don't have a nationality. We lost our nationality. So we don't have any rights. We don't have the right to vote. We don't have the right to travel. We can't even fly out of our country. We uh, have walls and checkpoints that separate cities, that separate our cities, and we're not free to travel from one place of our country to the other. And we're not allowed to go to certain areas in Palestine. Um, so that's kind of a historical background. But when I was at Bethlehem University, um, we had a demonstration where, you know, Palestinians demonstrate against the Israeli occupation. And so uh, one of the students was shot and I had to watch that student die because the soldiers wouldn't allow him to be taken to a hospital. But I grew up with all that conflict and I we had curfews. I smelled tear gas many times. I There was gunshots. It it wasn't peaceful at all. And I graduated from Bethlehem University and then I got a scholarship to go to Brigham Young University to get a master's degree. And that's where I was introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I was baptized. Were you aware growing up that all of this was going on or how were you aware that all of this was going on and the level of trauma that you were enduring? while you were still in it at the time? So when I was a child, I I mean, we've, we had demonstrations at the school and we would have, the soldiers would come and fire tear gas bombs or, or rubber bullets at the school girls that were demonstrating. And I just remember I was, you know, I was in the fifth or fourth grade when these things were happening. And I just remember being scared and, uh, once one of my classmates opened the classroom door, we were actually supposed to stay in the classroom for our safety, but one of my classmates opened the door and a tear gas bomb went inside. And I just remember my classmates being scared and crying and everybody wanted their mom and we couldn't leave because it wasn't safe. So growing up, I saw a lot of these things, but I actually didn't really understand a lot of the political things and what was going on or why things were happening. And I actually began to understand right at that incident at Bethlehem University when I was 16 and that student was killed. And then the soldiers wouldn't allow him to be buried properly. They actually took the body and 
ticket to a remote field and didn't allow anyone to come and just kind of buried it. And, and I developed that day, I kind of developed this hate for the soldiers and I couldn't understand why they shot him for no reason. And they also prevented his family to give him proper burial. And then I started to realize, oh, that's why we demonstrate. This is not fair. This is not right. We're kind of um, oppressed. We're not um, we're not free to do things. And um, and so and then I just as the and that's when a year after that is when the uprising started. Um, actually, it wasn't a year after, maybe it was the same year, I can't remember. Um, but the uprising started and then we started seeing a lot of these injustices where people were just shot for no reason and killed and arrested. And my brother-in-law was constantly being arrested and tortured in jail for no reason by the Israeli soldiers. And I just started to understand, you know, the reason we demonstrate is we want justice and we want to be free and we want to have our own country and rights and citizenship, which we didn't have. So, um, but yeah, initially I just kind of went through it and, and amazingly enough over there, you just live in it and, you know, you watch people get shot and killed and beaten and, you get humiliated, but you just assume that that's life and you just go through thinking this is normal and, <laughs> you know, um, you don't realize that that's not correct and this is not how life is supposed to be. How do you cope with that, all of that happening and even even sort of that dissociation of, I can't even be aware that this is happening because it's too much, it's too overwhelming to know, and I don't know differently. How do you cope with that happening around you every day? Um, well, I I don't know. I didn't cope, cope with it very well. I was a teenager at the time, and I was just depressed. I, I, I couldn't understand why I actually believed in God. Like I said, I was Christian. I believed in God, but I really thought he hated us. I couldn't actually, I kept wondering why does God hate the Palestinians and why does he, because I thought he caused all these things to happen to us. And most of the time, like when a bad thing would happen, I would blame myself and I would say, well, maybe it's because I'm a bad person or I don't know, but I, I kind of, didn't understand and I got into a depressed depression and just became very depressed and um at a point I really wanted to die and I actually just prayed for Heavenly Father to end my life because I just did not want to live like this I could not bear it and and it was just really hard and you know watching on the news things and and sadly, all you could do is go out and demonstrate. And, and I did. I went out a lot in demonstrations and just protested against all the injustices that were happening. But that's all you can do. And none of it seemed to make things better. It actually seemed to make things worse and more and more things got impo imposed on us and more curfew and more injustices as time went by. But... Um, I think the tactics that the Israeli government used is ingenious because I think they inflicted 
thinks on us, but gradually, like, for example, um, first they stopped allowing buses to enter Jerusalem, and then they stopped allowing taxis to enter Jerusalem, and then they stopped allowing um, people after a certain age to enter, and then they started building the separation wall. And so things like restrictions or travel restrictions and closures and all that happened so gradually, and things got worse slowly that a lot of people kind of didn't i mean we noticed the change but it wasn't so drastic that you know we just lived with it and coped and um i mean yes we were depressed <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money and it was really hard for a lot of people but the more people tried to change their situation the worse it got so it almost the people almost got to a point, at least today, that they're like, well, what's the point, right? There's there's nothing that I could do that's going to fix this. So I'm just going to live my life and pretend that I'm happy and call it good. And and it's it's sad. I, I look at it now that I've lived in the U.S. When I go back home, I can see it. And a lot of people there pretend like they don't see it. And I don't know if they just pretend or maybe they're really just so used to it that they don't realize that there's something wrong with their life. I mean, they live in a big jail, like Bethlehem, for example, has a wall around it and you can't expand. And so there's population growth, but you can't grow outside the city because you have a wall surrounding you and you can't go anywhere and I don't know but people pretend that this is life and they're good and things are great and it's just uh it's weird and you know when I go back there I just um I mean I compare to here because like back home we don't even have like all the birds are brown all the butterflies are white we don't have color in our lives and when i when i went to the fourth of july celebration once and watched the kids play it kind of shocked me because i've never seen palestinian children happy i mean they laugh and they play but you can see that there's something missing from their lives they're not it's not joy it's not childhood like I feel that their childhood has been taken away like I'm the last uh, me and my generation are actually the last generation in Palestine that actually had a childhood it feels like everything has been taken away and it's just sad when we talk about trauma that can mean things like childhood abuse or it can mean things like neglect but it can also be this kind of historical trauma where there's a collective people enduring a trauma together. And in all of those scenarios, part of the trauma is not being able to stop it. And part of the trauma is no one doing anything about it. And so there are those layers of learned helplessness that is by default because it is part of what keeps you safe like you saying the harder we try to fight against it the worse things got and so there is that dissociation from how bad things are and how difficult things are because they are literally in that active trauma trying to survive it but there's also that layer of 
uh, a kind of collapse internally and in the trauma responses it would be um, fight and flight and then freeze which is the dissociating but after that is is this collapse where there is nothing left that we can do there is nothing we can do about it and so we're literally in this place where we're breathing and trying to go about our days and doing what we need to do because we can't do anything else and and this level of suffering there is is so invisible that especially when when they're still in it or when we're still in it is so invisible it's really hard to heal because the trauma is still happening yeah it's true and and what's worse back there is our our image is the news kind of portrayed the story in a completely opposite way we were looked at as the terrorists and uh, here are the palestinians you know they're demonstrating again what's wrong with them or what do they want and especially after like the oslo agreement where everybody just assumed all of a sudden we have a country and we have (laughs) citizenship and that wasn't true i mean and a lot of people just thought that we were the bad guys and and Israel and the media, you know, when things happen, they just make it sound like here are the Palestinians and they're fighting against us. And a lot of people sided with the Jews because, you know, they're people think they're God's promised people and we need to support them. And they were persecuted in Europe and um, and it was it felt like nobody was really seeing our side of the story and that's why a lot of times when i share my story people are like shocked because i think there's still some ignorance out there as to why people are suffering there what's happening there why the palestinians are even demonstrating or complaining as people that don't really understand well and it's 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 always a strange thing that people don't understand even when they're using a god framework and god's chosen people kind of framework because they are brothers they are cousins it is not just one and not the other (laughs) even if that is your perspective in your framework it's not the whole story like yeah yeah, abraham was abraham (laughs) this is abraham's family right not just one so so i mean i'm laughing because it seems so simple the math of it, right? The math of it is so simple. It is one father. But 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 it's not funny at all. It's so, so painful. And you're 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 bringing up issues of of stigma and stereotypes and shame and um, the collective trauma of Darvo. Even Darvo is is the gaslighting when when someone says, hey, you are hurting me. But then they deny it and they attack them and then they reverse who the victim is and then make them the offender. And that is what you're describing in this dynamic. Yeah, exactly. So what was it like for you as you were going back and forth or, or as you were leaving or going to school for the first time and able to be in a different environment what was that like for you as you transitioned in that experience um so i was so excited to leave like i said i've been depressed and miserable and i just wanted to get out and 
I was so thrilled to get the opportunity to go to BYU and I didn't know what to expect because I've heard all sorts of crazy stories about Mormons and I didn't know what they were like and but I was just shocked as you know I I grew up not really being respected and humiliated and when I got there people were nice and welcoming and I loved it. I I loved feeling like they liked me, even though I was Palestinian. You know, a lot of them were ignorant about what was happening there. But at the same time, they welcomed me and liked me and respected me as a person. And I, I really enjoyed being at BYU. And I think that's initially what got me interested in the church is because people were so nice. That brings up another layer of historical trauma, too, where by default, even though you have survived all this, you keep being called to explain it and to educate and to address other people's ignorance, even though you have already lived it, where that's not supposed to be your responsibility. And yet again and again and again, having to confront the ignorance and having to address the just educational aspect of here's what the experience is actually like. Here is how we got to where we are. What has that been like for you? Uh, it's hard. It, I don't know. A lot of people kind of pretend to be nice. Sometimes they, some, I mean, there are a few people that are genuinely wanting to know what it's like, but a lot of times people pretend to care or they, um, or they say things that they don't, I mean, they don't mean to offend, I'm sure. It just comes out <laughs> very offensive sometimes, like people starting to speak to me in Hebrew. I'm like, no, that's the wrong language. <laughs> or, you know, or, or this lady that I sat by once in church, and she's like, I want you to know that I support Israel with all my heart. I'm like, well, that's nice, but I don't support Israel. And she just basically told me that I'm not a good member of the church if I don't support Israel. And they're just people that still, I mean, they're good members of the church and they think that we have to support the Jews. We have to support Israel. And um, even one of my leaders the other day, he's like, well, I think we should, you know, it's great that the church is, um, doesn't take sides and everything. And I, and I said, basically, no, I think we should take sides. I think we should uh, stand against injustice. Like, I don't think we can be neutral when injustices are being done to people. I I feel that we should always, you know, look for the truth as members of the church and, and stand for the people that are oppressed. That's part of who we are as members of the church and disciples of the Savior. We can't be neutral when... A country comes and occupies another country and oppresses its citizens. Like, that's not right. That's Occupation isn't right in any book. I don't think that should be valid. Well, and and again, even like that woman in church, it's, it's a, a misunderstanding or even a false understanding of yeah. Abraham. Like, even if you're, yeah. even yeah. if that is her perspective, it's the Abraham. <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> and so so that the, those are our our covenants even from mosiah right of feeling with others who are feeling and and standing with them and and mourning with those who mourn and 
it, it's not it's not just doilies and looking lovely and and the culture piece that it, that is one piece I really struggle with myself of um between what is my faith and what is culture because I am an adult convert from uh, from visiting um West Bank and the the branch in Jerusalem and in the house I went to the Jerusalem center as well but at at the house um it just is it's more than culture. I know there are lots of things we do. There are lots of things we serve, but it's about loving people and it's about caring for people and serving people and not at the expense of other people, <laughs> just loving, yeah. loving. Yeah. And, and it's about restoration of all things and the prophecies about Palestine and even even I'm preparing for a Sunday school lesson and we are getting ready to talk about Isaiah and some poetry and there's so much there about even yeah. temples that will someday be right at the borders of Egypt and the borders of Palestine like there's so many powerful things of this liberation, even if you want to use that word, that is coming and the restoration that is coming. And how do you hold hope for those aspects of life when there's still so much, not just ignorance, but ongoing trauma that's still happening? How do you hold on to that? Um, I don't know. I just, I guess I believe that the Savior will make it right one day and there is reasons for everything. And you know, I, I feel that things are still getting it worse before the second coming. So it's expected and it's prophesied, but in the end, it'll be made right somehow. I don't know how, but he'll, he'll work things out, I'm sure. It is a painful piece that things get harder before they get better. That yes, is, that's true. It, not Not at all to give up hope. I just validating that that's such a hard piece that, oh, great. That's fantastic. It's going to get even harder. It's going to get even worse. Yeah, that's actually a phrase that we've come to know back home in Palestine. Every time things get really bad, we're like, well, it, it's going to get worse. It always gets worse. And so we're just kind of used to it. We just know things never improved like ever since i was a kid they kept getting worse and worse gradually so we just know it's just gonna get worse it's part of life and we just hope for the day that the savior comes and makes it better because it's just gonna go downhill so how how much of that is acceptance of how hard things already are and how much of that is a trauma response do you think i don't know for me i I know I'm supposed to have hope, but I honestly don't have hope for my country other than the second coming because I look at how people behave and how much hate there is and how brains are washed, <laughs> like people are just ignorant and I just feel that I'm, I'm, I don't see it. I don't see a way of of real peace happening there anytime soon like i don't know a third world war or something might change things but I, it's right now it doesn't look like there's any indication of anything that's going to improve it just keeps going worse and like i said all throughout my 50-year life that's all i've seen is it getting worse and 
So I feel I'm a pessimist as when it comes to our political situation back there. It's useless. It's there's so much hate. But at the same time, my faith keeps me going. Like I know that God is in charge, and I know He knows what's happening, and He allows it for some reason, and He has His reasons, and um, at some point He'll change things. And I think um, what could change things is definitely people learning about Jesus Christ and embracing the gospel. And I think that's coming. That might come way before the second coming but so there's hope in that regard but without the gospel without like the savior healing the hearts of the people there i don't see anything changing the people are not going to change their situation there's so much depth in that recognizing how the way we literally treat our neighbors whoever they are has such an impact on the quality of life in the world, the way we care for each other, the way we accept each other, the way we serve each other, literally changes the space we share on this planet. <laughs> How does all of this impact you where you live now, away from there? But be, you are able to go visit sometimes, right? You just mm -hmm. got back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I my people are nice and they're friendly and um i just feel that they've reached a point where they're protecting themselves and kind of um closing themselves on you know i'm just fending for me and my family and i just want to make sure we're okay um that it's hard to look beyond that um i mean there are still really good people there but here it's different. I feel that, you know, if I'm needing something in the street, I would find a neighbor to help me. Whereas uh, back home, it used to be like that. It used to be a lot better, but now it's not anymore. And I feel we're kind of going away from the kindness. And, and I hate to say that about my people, but I feel that, like you said, part of the trauma is just they're too depressed to think about other people so i don't know i i'm grateful that i live here i'm grateful that i have people that i could ask for help and i do have that back home but just from my family like i can't expect a stranger to help me if i need it um but i don't know maybe that's that's really significant that piece of again it's an active and ongoing trauma they are still in the middle of it like you you are saying they're good people they're kind people and they're friendly people but also they have nothing left to give each other even um emotionally mentally even just from the depth of pain and struggle that they're in that's how real this is that's how yeah much trauma is actually still happening it, it's easier here not just because of privilege but because we are not in that ongoing danger in the same way and so e even addressing that ignorance it's not that here is better it's that here is safe 
theoretically, sometimes, most of the time, compared to that with most people, right? But but when they are not safe or not free or not able to be, don't have permission to exist, it, it's hard to come up with something to offer, even if it's your neighbor. Yeah. So the chaplains for the church, there's all kinds of different ones. There are military chaplains, hospital chaplains, there are um, border chaplains, there are all different kinds of chaplains. And and when they go through chaplain training, they are taught about other faiths and they are taught about diversity and they are taught about caring for people who are different than their own experiences growing up and those kinds of things. What would you want chaplains to know about your people? Um, so a lot of my people are actually Muslim. They're not Christians. And that, um, I think that's a faith that's misunderstood a lot as well. I grew up with Muslims. I mean, I have Muslim friends and went to school with them. And they're amazing. And I feel that they're very dedicated to their faith. I mean, they stop what they're doing and pray five times a day. And I just, I just maybe want people to understand Islam a little more because there's a lot of people that think Muslims are terrorists and that's not true because there's nothing in Islam that promotes terrorism of any sort. I mean, it's a peaceful religion and, there are really good people there. Um, as far as um, in general, my people, I think a lot of a lot of Palestinians are culturally uh, part of that religion they're in. Like we don't have people that convert. We, you know, if you your parents are in the Greek Orthodox Church, then you just automatically go to the Greek Orthodox Church and. Nobody really um, questioning religion is not encouraged there. So a lot of people maybe personally question their faith, but outwardly they don't. Like they don't tell the people that they're questioning. And so I feel that there's a lot of um, questions about religion, about faith, about God that we could help people with um, that maybe they don't know who to ask questions to, uh, but I feel they are truly seeking. That's why I feel that, um, especially like Muslims over there, I feel because of the, the hardships that we've gone through as Palestinians, I feel that if they're taught, they could be accepting um, they could be open to um, learning about the gospel and learning about other religions. And um, I just feel that people are genuinely seeking truth. That's everything, though, right? That's the beginning of agency. That's the beginning of choice. That's the beginning of asking questions, which is what changes everything. Yeah, exactly. What about, you shared about, we talked about people's ignorance towards Muslims or ignorance towards about Palestine and your own pain against Israel for everything that's happened historically and what you endured personally. 
how how do you reconcile that for even people even people who have gone through child abuse or something whenever we have an abuser or an enemy or enmity in those kinds of ways that are valid because there was direct pain caused not just fear or not knowing how do you use that valid and legitimate and authentic anger about those injustices to to for good without being lost in the hate that would be so easy to drown in yeah and i so before i joined the church i was very hateful like that day when i watched that student die in front of me with the bullet hole in his head i just developed this hate and it kind of ate me inside i it it hate just destroys you like it doesn't really help anyone else it just you there's a lot of people out there that get offended and they just allow that hate and anger to develop and for me it was basically an experience i had in, in 1997 where i was um trying to cross the checkpoint and a soldier you know i i sneaked in to get to church and I Palestinians are not allowed to get to Jerusalem but I was trying to get to church that day and one of the soldiers just yelled at me and told me I wasn't allowed into Jerusalem and I was angry I'm like well you have no right he was a 19 year old foreigner who just came to my country from some other European country and he like I felt that he had no right to tell me that I wasn't allowed into Jerusalem and I was born in Jerusalem. It's like my city. And so I was going to yell at him. And that's when I heard the words in my ear, love your enemies. And that scripture in Matthew where the savior tells us to love our enemies. And I could not do it. I, I just struggled with that. And I'm like, I can't love them. I can't even forgive them for what they've done. I mean, all the injustices I've seen them do. And it took me a whole year of fasting and praying. And um, because I read that scripture in Moroni 748, where it says to pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that we will be filled with love. And I actually came to realize that charity is actually a gift because there are sometimes people in our lives that just hurt us so deeply that we cannot forgive. Um, and so I just prayed with all my heart because I knew that I could not physically do it, that I was human and I just could not forgive and could not love. And, and he helped me. I mean, the savior knows how to forgive and love and, he forgave the people that crucified him and and i think that when we turn to him he can help us melt that hate and change that anger in our hearts to love and so for me personally now in my life it's about separating the the act from the person so when someone offends me I don't get offended. It's very hard to offend me because I don't like the act that people do, but I still love the person and I have no hard feelings, especially when, when people give ignorant remarks to me, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, and I know that they don't mean it. It's just, they're either taught differently or they don't understand. So, uh, for me, it's separating 
love the person because everybody is a child of God. Like I was crossing the checkpoint one day with, with my friend who was American and we would wait for an hour. And then when it was our turn, the soldier would say, oh, this gate is closed, go to the next one. And then we'd go wait in line over there for another hour. And then he would say, oh, this gate is closed and <laughs> go to the next one. And my friend just got so mad and upset and she started yelling at the soldier. And she's like, how can you be calm? How can you? And I'm just like, I can. If I'm angry at every little thing that I see them do, I will die. <laughs> like, I feel that I will, if I let that anger inside and I let it grow, there's no way I could survive. I have, I have to just laugh it off. And um, I just, I can't. So anyway, but that, that instance where I learned to forgive and love, um, really, it wasn't me. It was Heavenly Father that kind of taught me how to do it. Because sometimes, you know, we're human. We just, we can't. We can't manage our anger. We can't manage our hate. But he knows how to do it. and He can help us. For me and my experiences personally, that has been a similar thing in that I have a faith. Because I know that that what you just shared is bigger than what I can do by myself. Because I couldn't. But at the same time, in learning how to do that, it has actually protected me in a new way because it's something they can't get from me. It's the only piece they can't take from me is that heart, that who I choose to be. And, and that is a powerful thing that... There's that one piece they can't mess up, that they can't invade, that they can't take over. How how do you balance that with that forgiveness does not have to mean putting yourself in danger or going back into danger or or that? And I, I know for, for your people, it, it's not about having a choice, but I'm thinking of people in uh relationships or or with abusers or things where you can learn about forgiveness and that it is an it can be an act of faith not saying that everything that happened was okay because it was not okay but that I am choosing who I am and how I respond to people because of who I am and who who God is not because of what you've done to me but also that just because I've forgiven someone doesn't mean I have to put myself back in that situation and repeat it. How would you speak to that later? Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, wrong is wrong. And I totally believe that we should always stand for what is right. And we always should, you know, stand against the wrong actions of other people. And, um, but yeah, you you can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean that uh, that you should let them hurt you or or let them abuse you or just kind of. And I do. There are too many people that, um, in the church, sadly, I know some friends that are married to people that just continue to abuse them and they just let it happen because, you know, they're nice and they don't want to ruin that person's life or whatever it is. But um, it's wrong. And you have to, you have to believe, you have to remember who you are. I think Uh, if you remember that you're a child of God and that he loves you and cares for you, 
you have to you have to stand and and prevent the error from happening and you have to kind of believe that you're worthy and and i and i think a lot of times self-worth is important because you know as a palestinian i really thought that our lives didn't matter because when when an israeli would be killed the story would be all over the news and when like hundreds of palestinians get killed nobody hears about it and i started to wonder if our if our lives mattered or if we if we're even important and um similarly it happens with abuse when people are abused they start to think that oh maybe i'm nobody or maybe i caused this or whatever it is and and i feel if we realize we're children of god and we are important to him and we're worthy no matter what happens to us we're still nothing reduces our worth nothing takes away our identity i think we're we're more courageous and more able to stand against it and prevent it from happening when someone says to me with everything you've been through or the hard things you've been through how can you still be a person of faith or when someone says to me when you know so and so or this church leader made a bad decision or something that they've been offended by how can you still stand with that for me that is part of it is that i cannot blame god for what people have done wrong and I feel that me just even being here is my testimony that God exists and that there is something bigger than just me, something I have faith in, because you can't explain it any other way. There's no reason for me to still be here. There's no reason for for you to still be here, to be where you are and talking and sharing and educating. And that is part of it and and who who there is truth in who i am that goes back to or before anything terrible happened on earth and that's what i believe in something beyond this timeline of this planet and i think sometimes we as humans have made terrible decisions and have caused such harm on this planet but we are here and there's something that is significant about that that you can't explain otherwise. And I think that that, that matters. And it, it can be, I mean, there's obviously so many more pieces to it, but that's the most simple piece of that is why I'm still a person of faith. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people tend to blame God. Like I had a friend, you know, when she lost the loved one, she's like, well, I'm angry at God right now. <laughs> like, um, yeah, a, a lot of times people don't understand that God, the one thing God will not do is is make people do things. He doesn't interfere with, with agency. And when people choose to do wrong, he lets them because that's part of mortality. It's, he's not going to tell them what to do because that's Satan's plan. And I think... Um, he's the one person that will never leave our side we should never think that he's doing things against us he's always on our side he's always trying to help us it's just people sometimes don't choose what is right and they influence other people and they hurt other people but we just turn to god and ask for his help and he's always there
and using our agency to choose who we want to be in spite of what we have endured. Yeah, exactly. And how we want to react. Anything else that you would add to that conversation or about your people or what people need to know or consider or how they could care more sensitively? I don't know. I can't think of anything. And I I love what you're doing. I follow your posts on Facebook and you're doing amazing things with these kids and helping them and I oh. think it's great. So You're very kind. We're a mess, but we're trying. <laughs> yeah. I actually realize that you're never in any of the videos you take. It's always your family. <laughs> you're <laughs> never in the videos. I'm like, why is she <laughs> she's always behind the camera? <laughs> BYU students understand that their math is also Arab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't I don't want to push them too far too fast. I just (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for talking to me. You were amazing. You did a fantastic job. I'm so grateful. I'm so I haven't seen you in forever. Yes. Anyway, I followed you this whole time. And so when my bishop gets up in, in Oklahoma, is where I'm at right now. What did he say about me, or did he just share parts of my talk? Or well, what? he started quoting your talk and alluding to the talk and said they would share the link to the whole thing later. But the more he said, I was like, I know her. She's <laughs> my friend I never had. <laughs> So when they shared the link and I saw that it was actually you, I was like, I need to talk to her. So I'm so sorry for bothering you, especially right before school starts. But all my heart, I'm so grateful for you. My family has prayed for you so often and for your family so often. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. All the children are adopted from foster care. And the youngest one, her biological family is from Pakistan. And so... We have done a lot of history with her about Muslim culture and Muslim people and how they were really like all Indian until white people came in and said, oh, now you live in Pakistan. <laughs> the Muslims over here and that like people can't do that. Just tell other people where to live. And so I know it's not the same thing, but we've talked about it a lot. And so I shared your story with them because of that, too. And because I, I, I would I would be in Palestine in a heartbeat if I could. But that's the last thing they need is one more white person over there. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but my heart. And so I want my children to know. And, and I'm so grateful. And so it's such an honor to have you here. But we pray for you. We pray for your family. We pray like it's not even our business, but we're praying for you all the time. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that yeah. means a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, I'm, I, I am. I'm so grateful. Thank you right. so much. Well, no, because I said hello and thank them for praying for me. <laughs> well, thank you, really, really, and thank you for being out there. And, um, in Idaho, I would. That's so funny because I was just there last week, but not at BYU. Oh, were you? I was over oh. by Boise. So. Oh. But you've lived all over the place, or. I moved a lot. And as a chaplain, I get deployed to different... I went over to Ukraine. I've got um, to a lot of natural disaster things. I get sent. I write white papers for the UN. Um, I do a lot of things, and it's hard to... It's sort of like like your story outside of math in that 
people know we're supposed to listen but nobody really understands or tries to get to know and it's like I know that she's important (laughs) you should listen right like why do I care what is that what yeah yeah Yeah. it's so good and and because I am an adult convert I converted to the church before I met my husband I didn't get married until I was 35 and then um we could have children we fostered and then these are the six who got adopted but because I'm an adult convert I really fight I I I don't want to cause problems I don't want to cross the line (laughs) I don't want to get kicked out of the church (laughs) But I really push the limits on what you're saying is culture. That's not scripture. That's yeah. not yes. the prophet. Like, listen to the prophets. Read your scriptures. But what you're yeah. doing right here, that's culture, and it's not okay. And it's silly, yeah. A lot of people are actually leaving the church because of this culture. Like, they, there's so many people that do things that are weird, and then they like, oh, well, my bishop did this, so I hate the church. I'm like, well, that's a person. You can't base your judgment on the person. Like, you, your faith is not, you don't have, you don't believe in the bishop. You believe in Jesus Christ, and you just, right. yeah, it's just hard. Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm not very good at being a fancy lady who's very well-behaved and... and <laughs> No, you don't have to be well behaved. You just have to speak your mind. You That's have what comes to... out. My my <laughs> blessing said that as I speak for the church, that not to worry that the spirit will temper my words. Oh, okay. Who knows I've got a mouth. I'm gonna yeah. Good. I'm glad. So anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Best of luck. And... I. I hope you have a lovely day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains, even those of us who are very human and still learning to become saints. You can follow us by subscribing to the podcast on any podcast player. Thank you.